It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. We welcome you into the Virtual Bible Study for February 10th, 2011. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is here. Hello, Dad. Jacob, great to be with you tonight for the Virtual Bible Study. We always look forward to Thursday night in our Internet Bible Study group. Great to be with you. Good to be with you as well, and we're looking forward to a good discussion tonight, uh, an interesting subject tonight. Yeah, uh, we've, got a, we've got a subject that really, if, if, if it's carefully considered, applies to all of us, every Christian. Uh, this, this subject that we want to discuss is applicable to every Christian, so we hope that uh, we can say some things that will be an encouragement to us all. We want to talk about the confession of our sins. We do. You know, when we... When we Study from the Bible, when we mention the subject of confession, I think sometimes it's confusing because there's two different ways that the word confession is used. One thing is that the alien sinner who's coming to Christ, who wants to obey the gospel and become a Christian, has to confess. They have to confess their faith in Jesus Christ like the Ethiopian eunuch did. Uh, Romans 10, 9 and 10 says that confession is made unto salvation. And so we've got to confess our faith in Jesus in order to become a Christian. That's not what we're talking about tonight. Tonight we want to talk about confessing our sins. As Christians, one of the conditions of our forgiveness when we fail uh, is that we need to confess our sins, and we want to look at that subject tonight. All right. The number to call is 877-381-4567. Email questions at collegeview.com. Join in the chat room with other listeners tonight. We can see your comments there tonight. We couldn't last week. We can now this week. Send those comments in. We'll try and work them in as well as we talk about confessing our sins. You know, the word confess just means to assent to. So we assent to uh, Christ uh, being the Son of God, or we assent to our sins, or we could confess. Or, that, or another word might be to acknowledge. We might confess this is the virtual Bible study. Yeah, when we when, when you say that something is so, that you, that you have uh an agreement with something then that's the sense in which the word confession is used and here we're talking about confessing sins we're agreeing or acknowledging that we have sinned we're making a confession of sin that's our topic for tonight all right the, the number to call is 877-381-4567 email questions at collegeview.com with your comments on confession tonight jacob this this idea was generated by a news story that was uh, out there this week uh, did you know there's a new iPhone app for, in order to make confession? And it's 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 uh, made for Catholics. We know that the Catholics, I think, have some perverted ideas of how they must confess their sins to a priest in order to be forgiven. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've come out with an iPhone app. It cost $1.99, I found out. Jeff, we got some screenshots of what that app looks like. And uh, if you've got an iPhone and you're a Catholic... You can get you can get this app and it'll help you in being able to make what the Catholics require by way of confession. I think they're wrong on the subject of confession, but uh, here's the news story. It says a new app for devices like iPhone and iPad aims to take the intimidation factor out of confession for Catholics, and the Catholic Church is giving it the thumbs up. You'll still have to tell a priest your sins in person. But con- but this app called Confession, a Roman Catholic app, holds your hand through the process via via your handheld, uh, and so uh, that, that's the way it's going to work, I guess. Uh, it says confession for some people can be kind of intimidating, so I think this will make it a lot easier for them to go through it. Uh, a Catholic priest named Jerry Wilde at uh, I don't know where this is, Temple University, says when it comes to absolution, touch screens can't replace face-to-face, but support, support for the app shows the church is keeping up with the times. So he's, he's a Catholic priest. He believes he can give absolution that the iPhone app can't, but it'll help you get there. 
I, and I, the way I see it is it's just sort of a prompt, I guess, to give you the words to say to the priest, well, I guess, when you go whisper. Isn't it, I is think there? it's kind of a sad commentary on our present age. We can't do anything unless we've got an electronic device in our hand that tells us what to do and how to do it. And here, here are the Catholics. Again, I think they've got a perverted idea on, on confession. But in order for them to go into the confessional booth, they need to have this electronic device prompting them as what to what say. they should say. Okay. Uh, what do you think about that? And what do you think about confession in general? 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. Earlier today, you sent some questions to our update list about uh, what the Bible teaches about confession, not necessarily what the Catholic Church teaches about it or what your iPhone says about it, but what the Bible teaches about confession. Yeah, I sent out earlier today, we always remind you, you can get on our update list by sending us an email, questions at collegeview.com. Just say, add me to the list, and we'll do that. And on Thursdays, midday, we send out an update telling you what our topic is going to be for that night and seeking to get feedback. We've got quite a bit of feedback on this topic tonight, Jacob. Uh, we're looking for more, so if you're listening, please respond. Num- the number one question was list the things necessary to make true and legitimate confession of our sins. Number two, how can we properly determine to whom we must make confession of sins? Now, the Catholic priest says you've got to confess to him. I think he's really off on that. But there is some question about to whom we should make our confession. Number three, list some examples of good and proper confession of sin in the Bible. And number four, list some examples of those who failed to make proper confession of sin in the Bible. And so those are the questions that we want to go to tonight. And if you uh, have a chance and you haven't done so already, uh, send us an email and we'll uh, try to work your emails into our discussion tonight. All right. Uh, we look forward to hearing from you. You can email, you can phone in, you can chat in the chat room, or if you're privileged, like one guest tonight, you can Skype in. And Anthony Petrochko joins us from across town tonight, and he's uh, connected with us via Skype tonight. Anthony, welcome to the program. Hey, guys. How's it going? Real loud. Real loud. We got you we got way loud and clear. <laughs> All right. Okay. I'll, there we I'll are. Whisper. That's better. That's better. We got you now. Um, Anthony, you saw the iPhone app. What do you think about it? Yeah, I was pretty, you know, at, to be honest with you, uh, there's so often I see so many headlines from time to time on things, you know, sort of things that are a little bit interesting regarding the Catholic Church. So I wasn't entirely surprised to see this one about an iPhone app. But uh, as you said, they have some ideas about confession in general that, are, that aren't scriptural, So, uh, but it, it definitely is quite an interesting topic. Well, Anthony, you've got an iPad. I think you you believe that you would uh, have any use for a, for a, uh, some kind of assistance using that to make confession of sins? Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, um, again, I think what you were saying sort of takes the, takes the thought factor out of it, um, but I don't know. It is. It, it also is, like you said, a sad commentary on our society where we're heading, where we have technology uh, Jeff, invading. On, on that, uh, on that uh, screenshot that I got uh, there, uh, there was a checklist. No, how genuine could this confession be if the way I do it is to get on my iPad and I make a, I, I go through a checklist of the things I that I need to confess, and then then it prompts me what to say when when I speak to. The Catholic priest. I, I would just wonder how genuine that is. Okay. Uh, John in uh, Edmond, Oklahoma, says that he understands from the article that this app helped keep one tr- keep one to keep track of his sins as well. Uh, and he had some predefined uh, sins, and you could add other sins to it. I guess that would be one problem with the Catholic Church's uh, way of getting forgiveness of your sins. If you've got to make it to a priest to whisper it in his ear... You'd need something like that, I think, to keep up with them. Perhaps, you know, if it's going to be a month or a week until you can get to the priest, you wouldn't make you want to make sure you didn't forget the sin you needed to yeah, be forgiven. Of. I suppose if you had that sort of contrived idea of how it had to be handled, then yeah, that might be a, a possibility. All right, let's let's uh, leave the Catholic notion off and go to the Bible and try to figure out from the Bible what are some of the necessary things to make true and legitimate confession. Um, I know that we've got some emails here uh, looking at uh, Jim from Mount Pleasant, Tennessee. He says, a humble attitude, a desire to serve God, a faithful relationship with God, a desire to have your sins remitted, a belief in God's mercy and forgiveness. So he's got several things listed there as 
essentials for right and proper confession. And Sherry emails us from a place you don't want to be tonight, northern Minnesota. Uh, she says, I believe we should not only confess our sins, but repent and turn away from our sinful ways. We need to confess them to those we have done wrong, whether it is uh, is a person or God, and ask for forgiveness. Psalm 32, verse 5, I acknowledge my sin to thee. I will confess my transgression to the Lord. And so we appreciate Sherry for sending those comments. Uh, she says your confession needs to include repentance. Yeah, it, it wouldn't be effective without that. In other right. words, it's, we'll talk more about that, but if you're just going to say I sinned, but you don't tend to change, then the confession is a lot of do people are doing that. Yeah. I mean, some people to... some people confess their sins by way of bragging yeah, about right, it. Right, right. You won't believe what I did last yeah. night, yeah. and they're bragging about it. They're right. telling what they did, but there's no there's no repentance. So I okay. think Sherry's right Thank on that. Thank you, Sherry. Uh, Eric in Fayetteville, Tennessee, says in this context, confession re- requires an admission of guilt. To a, to be effective, it should also include godly sorrow and repentance. And so we would agree with him on that. All right. Thank you for those comments tonight. If you have others you'd like to add, please send them in tonight. Uh, we have uh, Dean in the chat room. Dean saw the chat or saw the feature on a uh, internet broadcast earlier this week and could not believe it. Um, and so, uh, and Paul wants to get into a discussion of when a public confession is necessary and when should we just go to God privately. We have that uh, question that has been submitted in previously by another listener tonight, and so we'll get into that at the end of the program. You might get your thoughts about together about that. When is a public confession required? Yeah, well, that was actually our second question. How do we determine to whom we should confess? And so we, we want to talk about that. I think that's an important consideration okay. here. But let's talk a little bit more about effective confession, because confession is absolutely necessary as a condition of our forgiveness. In 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, John writes, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So that's an important condition of forgiveness for the Christian. We can be cleansed. After we have sinned, we can be cleansed, but it's necessary for our for us to confess our sins as a condition of that cleansing as Christians. We've also been told to confess our sins to each other. In James chapter 5, verse 16, Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. So we've been instructed that confession is required yeah, for a Christian. Exactly right. Now, to make it effective, I think there's several things, and, and our emailers have already hinted at this. But, for instance, I believe to be effective... The, our confession has to be personal. It's it's not enough to say we all sin or everyone sins every day or he sinned or they sinned. Effective confession, confession on my part involves me saying I have sinned. And I believe only when I acknowledge my own sins. And I don't have. To, I'm not. It's not my business in this regard to acknowledge the sins of everybody else. Well, we all sin every everybody day. Sins. Everybody sins. Everybody sins i got to say, I have sinned. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more later about David's great example when he was approached by Nathan the prophet. But in 2 Samuel 12, verse 7, Nathan said to David, Thou art the man. We remember that famous episode. You were the one. And David, who had the power to say, Grab that man and cut his head off, instead humbly said, I have sinned against the Lord. Okay. And so we need to be like David and, and admit our personal Guilt. I think Eric mentioned that in his email. We got to acknowledge personal guilt in the matter of sin. All right. 877 381 4567. Questions at collegeu.com. Uh, Danny in the chat room uh, says that uh, King David admitted that he had sinned. And so he agrees with you on your personal application of that. We need to be willing to admit that we personally have sinned, and our pride uh, sometimes wants to hinder that, and we need to work on that. We're going to take a quick break. We'll go to, on the other side of the break, we'll continue uh, talking about what makes an effective confession. What do you think about that? Let us know your thoughts. Join in over the phone. Join in over email. Join in the chat room tonight. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study will continue right after this. Enjoying the virtual Bible study? Email a friend during this break and tell them to join in on the discussion. There's more exciting Bible study after this commercial. Hi, I'm Jack Coleman, a member of the College View Church of Christ, with a suggestion for you and your family. Why not turn off the TV on Thursday nights and gather the family around the computer for an hour of in-depth Bible study? The virtual Bible study always involves subjects of importance and interest to serious Bible students. So, 
Why not join this Internet Bible study group every Thursday night? Hi, my name is Mike Holt. My wife and I, we love listening to the virtual Bible study. A streaming Bible study. Why didn't I think of that? Now back to the guys. And welcome back to the program tonight as we talk about confession, what makes an effective confession, and what makes an effective program is when, when you participate. And you don't have to listen to us all the time. We can take your comments. The best way for you to comment uh, tonight is over the phone at toll-free at 877-381-4567. Join in the chat room. Lots of activity in the chat room tonight. A lot of people there. You can join in the chat room, the other listers, or you can send us your email to questions at collegeview.com. Well, sort of send your email sort of like raising your hand because we can't ignore you. Uh, if you'll send us an email. In the chat Actually, room, your comments might get lost, but in, yeah. the, in the emails, they won't. That's right. Usually emails get, uh, for some reason, get more uh, direct attention than the chat room, but we love the chat room. We love people participating there. We already talked about effective confession involves, you gotta you got to say, I did it. It's my sin. Yep. I have sinned, as David. It also needs to be definite. You know, if you stop to think about it, there are a lot of people who do things that are really not confession at all. For instance, it's very common to peep for people to say, "Well, if I've done anything wrong, I'm yeah. sorry." Yeah. You know, maybe I've maybe I've lied about you, or slandered you, or stolen from you, or who knows what. And I come to you and say, "Jacob, if, if I've hurt if, your feelings, if, if, if I've hurt your feelings, or if I've done anything wrong, I'm sorry." You know, I'm always tempted to tell the person who gives one of those if statements, "If I've done anything wrong, go back and figure it out first, and yeah. then come and talk to me." If you don't know. Go figure out whether you did something wrong and then come talk to me about it. Those if comments, you know, husbands are very prone to say that to their wife. Well, I'm sorry if I've done anything wrong. I'm sorry. Those are really effectively no confession at all. All right. Anthony is still with us and over the Skype link tonight. Anthony, your thoughts? Wow. Yeah, this is this is kind of fun. Yeah, uh, along those lines, that's certainly not uh, what David said. You know, references already made in the chat room to David, but Psalm 51, uh, verse uh, 3, he doesn't say, well, if I've messed up, you know, forgive me. He says, I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight and so forth. So uh, no equivocation there on David's part. So we should learn from his example. Exactly right. Really good good observation, Anthony. Uh, uh, th- this idea of a definite confession uh, I think another really good example of it in the scripture is the prodigal son. Uh, When the prodigal son came back to his father, and it looked like his father was going to receive him back with open arms regardless of what he did, but he had already made a plan in his heart, and he followed through with it. And when he said to his father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called thy son, Luke 15, verse 21. So the prodigal son stands as a really good example of being definite, not if I've done anything wrong, I did do something wrong. All right. Uh, what, do you think we ought to be specific in our confessions, or do you think they should be uh, generic? I believe they need to be specific. I mean, we can all we can all confess in a general sense. We can all say, you know, I have sinned. I want to confess sins in my life. Everybody can do that. The only exception to that in the whole history of time was Jesus. Every man can say, I have sinned, or I have sins in my life. But effective confession, I believe, acknowledges the particular sin. Back to that text that Anthony uh, referenced um, in Psalm 51, verse 3, I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Uh, No one doubted then or today, I think, what he meant when he said that. They knew the reference to the sin with Bathsheba. And so true confession says I have lied. I have stolen. I have been a gossip. I tell you, that's hard, and, and you don't typically hear those kind of confessions. But that's what we need. All right, uh, Jeff is behind the controls tonight, and he has a comment as well. Jeff. Well, it it comes about about the sincerity of the heart. Uh, if David had just, you know, he didn't say, you know, I just messed up. He because he got caught. It wasn't like. Because he got caught, he repented. Yeah, he really had the right attitude about it. All right, that's uh, that goes along the lines with what Paul said in the chat room. He says there's a confession that's uh, confession when you're sorry, and there's a confession because you got caught. Yeah, David's uh, well, David got caught, but there was sorrow associated with that as well. And it was, as you said, uh, Jeff, it was very sincere. And John in the chat room says, if our sin is against God, then our confession must be specific. If we sin against a brother, then our confession must also be specific. 
So I think that's a, a definite point about legitimate and true and effective confession. It's got to be specific, and it's got to be honest. Uh, in our day and time, criminals are used to the idea of plea bargaining, mm-hmm. you know, and so maybe the guy has committed cold-blooded murder, and that might carry a death sentence, but he's got a really slick attorney, and they're able to plea bargain that down to manslaughter, and he gets 10 years with parole after four. Yeah. You know, so it, it, it's an idea. It's the idea of admitting throwing them a bone, uh, or... admitting to less than you did. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but you can't do that with God. You can't do that in God's court. You can't confess, for instance, to hurting someone's feelings. When what, in fact, you did was you gossiped and slandered them, and, and you can't say, well, I'm sorry I hurt your feelings. Yeah, yeah. You, you have to admit that that you actually actually committed the, the sins that you did. You can't misstate the facts. Uh, you've got to say it as it is. In First uh, John chapter 3, verse 20, it says, For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. God knows. We might as well be honest with him uh, that about the sin that we actually committed. All right, uh, Jeff, we'll need the phone out of the other room if you don't mind. 877-381-4567. Email questions at collegeview.com. Uh, you've got to be honest and specific uh, with your confessions. And, uh, you know, it's not uh, just, uh, as you said, Dad, the idea of maybe I'll sort of the, uh, distract them with a, maybe a lesser sin in my mind. Uh, sort of distract them from the fact that I really did something else, maybe, uh, is what you're getting at. Yeah. All right. We got a, a, a question sort of in the chat room from Robin. It says, why do people in the Christian age not have to confess our sins, but instead confess that Jesus is the Son of God at our conversion, just like when they did at John's baptism, Matthew 3, verse 6? Uh, I hope we're being clear here, Robin, and others. Uh there's two ways in which confession is used, as we mentioned at the outset of the program. One form of confession is to confess our faith in Christ. And I think that's what you're talking about there, Robin. When we become Christians, uh, at our conversion, we confess our faith that Jesus is the only begotten Son of God. But there's another way in which confession is used. For instance, in 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 through 10, we confess our sins. So after we become Christians, we don't confess our sins before we become Christians. The very act of obeying the gospel is an acknowledgment of the fact that we are a sinner in need of salvation. We don't have to confess all the sins. And you say that, not because that's what you think, but you say that because of uh, what the Scripture, you don't have any example of that. That's right. There's no example of people confessing sins in order to become a Christian. You don't have to enumerate all your past sins when you become a Christian. You're acknowledging your sinful state and need of salvation in the very act of coming and complying with the conditions of salvation to become a Christian. But when we talk about confessing sins, that's for those of us who are already Christians. In 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 through 10, James chapter 5, verse 16, addressed to Christians, tells us we need to confess our sins. All right. We've got, a, we've got an email or a comment in the chat room from John. We've got to get to that. Uh, but we also have a call we want to take. Uh, and I don't know who the caller is, but uh, welcome to the program. Hey, Jacob. It's Eric. How are hey, you doing? Hey, Eric. Uh, good. Thanks for calling. Yeah. Hey, I have, I have a question I, that, that um, you guys mentioned this a moment ago. And it's something that it's, a, it's about the, the idea of being specific and um, – when the, when when I got your email, Greg, I I was doing some digging today, trying to just find some examples of confessions, and really trying to find some examples of specific um, confessions. Um, and I included some of this in the email, so don't don't you don't have to read it again later. But uh, one that I found was Aiken, where he basically said, "This is what I did. I, I saw this uh, garment. I found these things. I took them. I hit, you know." So that was very specific. Here's exactly what I've done that was wrong. But I also found a lot of them, like David's, when uh, Nathan approaches him, and David just responds in Second Samuel twelve thirteen, um, "I have sinned against the Lord." And even in his uh, Psalm fifty one that you referred to, he did not say, uh, "I don't think he said murder or adultery or anything." He just said, "I acknowledge my sins, my transgressions before me." And the prodigal son also said, "I've sinned against heaven and before you." We know from his older brother that. You know, he had been involved, uh, again, with um, harlots and riotous living and everything that goes along with that. But um, I just don't know whether those accounts, of course, some of those are, uh, you know, the prodigal son is a uh, parable. And, uh, and I don't know that, that even the account of David, that it records everything that he said. Well, but, but in the case of David, for instance, Eric, don't you think 
when Nathan the prophet came to him and he told him that little story about the man who had a single ewe lamb and his rich neighbor who had big flocks and came and took his ewe lamb and killed it. And, mm-hmm. and David was enraged at that story and said, I want to know who that man is and he's going to pay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Nathan says, no, no, you are the man. And he, he, he specified how God had blessed him so richly and so forth. And now in this context, it was obvious that the sin under consideration was the sin with Bathsheba and all that all that it entailed, the, not only the adultery, as you said, but the murder and so forth. I believe that I believe that I could picture David's confession there uh, as being a specific confession. You know, here's what we're talking about. Nathan basically said, "Here's what we're talking about," and David said, "I did that." Ah, uh, yeah, that's a good. Uh, yeah, I understand what you're saying. So I, I think I would would kind of argue David's case as uh, as a specific. We may have lost Anthony there. Anthony, uh, are you still there? Oh, uh, Anthony's gone. We'll have to. Oh, no, 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 he's there. Okay. Okay. Uh, 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 Yeah, Eric, uh, on the prodigal son, maybe a good time to work in uh, John's question. Yeah, yeah, I was going to go to that. John John says uh, he doesn't want to throw a wrench into the discussion, but in Jesus's uh, example prayer, uh, how he taught the disciples to pray, he taught his disciples to say, "Father, forgive our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us." He thinks that would be a more generic uh, example of requesting forgiveness without mentioning the specifics. Yeah, but I might I might argue from that text that Jesus was teaching a general prayer. He was teaching how to pray generally, and that that might be the equivalent of when we word a public prayer in the public worship assembly. In other words, speaking for to lead the group in prayer. I'm not going to I'm not going to specify my individual or personal sins when I'm leading the congregation in prayer. It that, that's that's not applicable to the context that I'm speaking in. And I think when Jesus there told his disciples, you know, to pray for for the forgiveness of their sins, he was teaching a general prayer. And I, I would not say that that precludes the idea of being specific when I'm praying privately and individually to God. All right. Uh, Eric, what are you? What are your thoughts? Any? any yeah, I thoughts? actually agree. It's, I mean, in the sense that I've I've advised, uh, I've I've suggested the same thing that that uh, you know it almost doesn't make any sense for someone, for instance, especially in a public confession, to just say I've done something wrong. You know, and I mean, you you know, it's like uh, you're not really. Um, it doesn't seem like you're really confessing um, without saying what it is. But but when I went back and was just looking for examples of confessions, I was having a hard time finding some where people spelled out the particulars of the um, of their sins. So that's, I was just wanting your, your ideas on well, that. And, and, and I'll throw in another one from Leviticus chapter 6, or at Leviticus chapter 5, verse 5. Now, this is the Old Testament. It's not binding today. But in the Old Testament, it seems that they were requested to be specific in their confession as well. In Leviticus 5, verse 5, it shall be when he shall be guilty in one of these things, he shall confess that he has sinned in that thing. Okay. So, so what's, that, what's that reference? Leviticus to? five verse five. Good. Uh, so in the Old Testament, it seems like they were, you know, the, the instruction was be specific in your confession. Jack, Jack in the chat room says, if our confession is public, then a specific confession leaves no doubt to our brothers. Even if our confession is not public, by confessing specifically, we demonstrate to God our sincerity. In other words, we are not hiding our sins by making, by making a specific. In other words, there's no attempt to hide our sin by making a specific. Confession. All right, we got guests all around us tonight. We're hey, I'll let you guys go. Thanks. That's that was my question. No, okay. hang in there. Hang in there. Eric, hold on just a minute. Stay there. Uh, we got Eric. We got Anthony. We got Jeff. Anthony's got a comment. Anthony. Yeah, hey, guys. Uh, I'll just make one more comment, and then I'll just uh, hang up and listen, as it were. But, yeah, I think a couple of things have been talked about that I agree with. You know, when it comes to public confessions, all too often I'm afraid we don't, you know, we don't, we're not specific enough, and we're kind of, we don't take that, that, true step in confessing what our sin is and to me that almost nullifies the whole idea um you know i think it's something we need to think about but uh and i clearly specific confession is commanded like we talked about in first john uh one verse nine but i kind of i i am sort of have some questions about the preceding verses you know verse seven about walking in the light as he is in the light and the blood of Jesus cleansing us from all sin is sounds to me like more of an ongoing thing. And I think we could talk about when I drop off, maybe we could talk about, 
the idea of, you know, is it the case that every time we sin, we're suddenly, uh, you know, separated from God, and if we were to die the next instant, we would be lost? Or do we, as Christians, have more of a safety net there? I think that is such a huge question, Anthony. Yeah. <laughs> that probably deserves a whole program. I, uh, uh, there's, a lot, I agree. there's a lot of intricacies to that question, and I think that probably is one we need to put in the mix for a whole discussion in a future program. That has been, in fact, a, a rather divisive subject among some brethren in within the last 20 years or so. Some There, were, there were, was even one a fairly large debate that was conducted on that question, and and I think maybe that uh, we could address that in a future program. All right. Uh, we need to take a break and get this week's bullet point. Eric, thanks for your call tonight. Okay, thanks, guys. And Eric, Anthony, thank you for being on the Skype line tonight. Thanks. All right, and uh, we'll take a break, get this week's bullet point, and when we get back, we'll take your thoughts. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this. Are you listening? There's going to be a test on this stuff. Stay tuned. The virtual Bible study will be right back after this. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. It seems that every congregation struggles to achieve a happy medium when it comes to the thermostat setting in the church auditorium. Some are perpetually cold while others are simultaneously too hot. One will be shivering and wearing a heavy coat and a lap blanket while another sitting nearby will be employing one of those funeral home fans that are invariably located in the pews. What we hope to do is find a temperature setting that is acceptable to the majority of folks, resulting in worshipers that are neither cold nor hot. But despite our best efforts, everyone must realize that those whose sensitivities are at the extremes of the hot and cold spectrum will still wish for higher or lower settings on the thermostat. We beg for patience and a long-suffering attitude on the part of everyone. On the other hand, the spiritual temperature chart is completely different. We absolutely do not want to find Christians in the in-between, lukewarm range. Do you recall what the Lord said to the Laodiceans? He said, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Revelation 3, verses 15 and 16. We fear that there are too many of God's people today who would be described as lukewarm. These are the ones who want a measure of religion, but not too much. They want an association with God's people, but they also want to be accepted by their friends in the world. They know they should be faithful in attendance, but their secular activities demand a lot of their time. In short, they want it both ways. God's Word says it can't be done. Quote, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Matthew 6, verse 24. Christian, it's time to think. Are you neither cold nor hot? Are you just lukewarm? That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. Hello. Hey, Matt. No, I don't have any plans for Friday night. What are you doing? Oh, I won't be able to go with you to watch that movie. Because, Matt, the movie is rated R. Hey, why don't you just come over and hang out at my house Friday night? Great. I'll see you there. Being pleasing to God means that you may have to be different than the crowd. But don't be afraid to stand up for what's right. It just might find that it's easier than what you expect. A message brought to you by College of Church of Christ. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Colossians 3:17. Now, back to the program. And we welcome you back to the virtual Bible studies tonight. We look forward to hearing from you. 877-381-4567. Email questions at collegeview.com. And the phone line is open. And you can be like Eric and Fayetteville. Give us a call. We'd love to hear from you on the program tonight. As we talk about confession and ask the question, how specific must it be? Real quick, let me pick up some comments in the chat room. We were talking about specific confession. Does our confession need to be specific? Paul says it would seem a specific confession would help us not do it again, while a general confession does not call to mind the actual wrong done. I agree with that. Uh, Anthony P. says uh, specific is very important and much more therapeutic, if you will. I think that's right. I, I really do believe that confession is for our good. That's why God tells us to do it, because it, it, it deals with the idea of having to acknowledge and come to grips with what we've actually done. Yeah. So I think it is therapeutic. Okay. Uh, Tim adds, we should be careful with public confession to ensure those hearing are mature enough to accept the confession without judgment. The wrong people may cause problems, rumors, gossip, and so forth. I do think in public confession, 
It needs to be specific so that those who know of the sin or have reason to know of the sin know that that's what you're talking about. It doesn't have to be so that you elucidate every single detail of every dirty deed involved. It needs to be specific enough that those who are aware or who might become aware of what you've done know that that's what you're talking about. Okay. But those who those who don't know or don't need to know don't need to know. And so I, I you know, it, it, hey, you know, I knew I knew of an instance where one individual said he could not come back and uh, make things right because if he were to confess what he had done, it would throw everybody into a tailspin and, uh, and and it would destroy you know everyone. I don't believe that, but I do think that I, I, there's some judgment that needs to be applied. And, and, it, and if people aren't aware of the sin and confessing them is going to shock them to the core, then there's no reason to confess it to them. Yeah, you confess. And that's what we need to go to. That's our next question. Uh, real quick before we do that, uh, John adds, uh, specific acknowledgement forces us to be honest about our weakness and to address the specific weakness. Uh, uh, yeah. Oh, my, there's a lot of good points. A lot of people are in there in the chat room talking. Let's go to this question because we're getting this question. How to, to whom do I need to confess? Now, we've talked about being specific, but who needs to hear that specific confession? Um, John sent in earlier today a question. He says, I was wondering if you'll be including the discussion, the question of public confession at the end of a sermon. I knew a situation a number of years ago when a wife had an affair on her husband. While the affair was not public knowledge, her father confided in a few men seeking prayers. So the, the father's upset about what his daughter's doing. He asked for some people to But it's not a general, it's not a, a widely known okay. circumstance. All right, but she wants to make it right now. Now the wife, uh, while the wife had apologized to her husband, one of the men felt she had to go forward and make a full public confession. I disagreed, saying her sin was between her, the man with whom she'd committed the sin, her husband, and with God. If her sin had brought public reproach upon the church, then I would agree to requiring a public apology. I wonder if sometimes we require a public confession when it's not biblically required any thoughts. And then Mike in Chattanooga, Tennessee says, is a public confession a must? Where would one go to scripturally prove it? James 5.16 indicates we should do so to one another, but does it require a public congregational confession? He also asks, how detailed must the confession be, which I think we've sort of covered. Uh, so, um, let's talk about to whom must the confession be made. I think the confession needs to be addressed to those who've been sinned against or who may have knowledge of the sins. Um, in Psalm 51, which we've already referenced concerning King David, he acknowledges sin to God. He said, against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. Now, I think a lot of us have some problems sometimes in understanding how he worded it that way. Obviously, David had sinned against Uriah the Hittite. He had sinned against Joab, the commander of his army. He had certainly sinned against Bathsheba. Uh, he had sinned against the people of Israel and what he had done. But the point that we're drawing out here first and foremost is every sin is a sin against God, and every sin needs to be acknowledged to God. Right. Uh, now, in addition to that, so so there's our first. Who, to whom do I need to confess? i got to confess every sin I commit to God because uh, every sin I do commit is against God. Mm -hmm. But secondly, if I've sinned against a brother, then Jesus teaches me to seek out reconciliation with that brother. Uh, and that would clearly involve confession. In the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, verse 23, Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath ought against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, then come and offer thy gift. So, if I've got a brother that I've sinned against, even before I try to worship God, I need to go and be reconciled to that brother, which would obviously involve confessing that I'd wronged him and seeking to make it right. So, i got to go to the one that I have wronged. But what if it was two brothers instead of one? What if there were two brothers that I had wronged? I think Jesus said, go to both of those that you wronged and get this thing straightened out before you try to offer your, your worship to God. But what if it, instead of two, it was 200? What if I'd sinned against 200 people? Uh, well, I think I've got to go to those 200. Somehow I've got to get them to know that I'm acknowledging my wrong. Uh, and so I think the premise, and I think it's been mentioned in the chat room, is that uh, the confession needs to be 
to all who were wronged by the sin that I committed. And it's clearly possible for us to sin against everybody, against the whole church, for instance. Uh, In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, uh, beginning verse 8, Paul writes, Meat commendeth us not to God, for neither if we eat are we the better, neither if we eat not are we the worse. But take heed, lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. When you sin so against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. So he said that you you sin against everybody. You sin against the brethren. And that being the case, then I need to go to all who need to hear of my confession. Now, that brings us to this question of going forward, making a public confession at the end of the sermon, as John asked in his email. And what I believe is the answer to that is that that, while nowhere demanded in the Scripture, actually serves as simply a good expedient means of getting that job done. If my sin is is publicly known and I have caused harm to everyone in what I've done, then somehow or another I've got to get the message out that that I'm sorry for that sin, I'm confessing that sin, I seek to be forgiven of that sin. And going forward to make a public confession... It's an expedient. It's an expedient. It's an effective way to get it done. I could go, for instance, I was saying, what if I sinned against 200 people? I could look up every one of those 200 people and go to them personally and talk to them about the matter. That, that, that's certainly a way it could be done. It'd be tough. It'd, be, it'd take a long time to do it. Or I could go, I could make a public confession and, and hit them all at once. And everybody who knew of my sin would have an opportunity to know of my confession of that sin. Perhaps the the practice comes from Matthew chapter 18, where the person who who is engaged in sin and won't repent, at the the at the the third step in that process is taking the, the the problem before the church, and so in in that case especially, you know, even if it, this is a private sin, uh, Dad, maybe I have a, a a terrible temper and I punched you in the eye, and uh, nobody knows nobody knows about this except for you, but uh, you come to me and and try and get me to correct myself and I won't. Then you bring two or three with me, and I won't correct it. And then you bring it before the church, and, and the whole church knows now that I dotted your eye. Well, then uh, the the way that that would be re- remedied is for me to confess my sin before the church. That's so right. perhaps that's how the, the practice was, you know, took root as well. I think so, too. I think that's certainly so. But now, let me say this. I know of instances in which sins were confessed uh, before the church that were private, that the church didn't know about. Is that authorized? Okay. So you're saying, what about a situation where a sin has been... Com- I, I committed a sin, but actually I'm the only one who knows about right. it. Would it be appropriate to confess it to the whole church? Okay. Well, I would go to that passage in James chapter 5 that we mentioned earlier, in which it suggests confessing my faults one to another and praying for one another. I may want to do that. I may. I don't think it's mandated. I don't think it's absolutely necessary in that case but I may want to go before the church and confess my sin and my weakness and ask for the prayers of the saints in order to get help to get past my problem. Mm-hmm. I don't think I would necessarily have to do it as a condition of forgiveness, but I may choose to do it for the sake of the spiritual strength and encouragement I would get from my brothers and sisters who would join in prayers with me to help me overcome that problem. All right. 877-381-4567. Email questions at collegeu.com. We've discussed uh, some things necessary for a true and legitimate confession. Uh, We've discussed how do we properly determine to whom we must uh, make confession of our sins. We've got a couple more topics to go and time for your comments. Jim in Mount Pleasant uh, says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, Jesus refers to our Father as being in heaven. In John 1, uh, 1, the context deals with our relationship with God through his Son, Jesus Christ. John chapter 1, verse 9 tells us if we confess our sins to him, then he is faithful to forgive us. Then 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 tells us that Jesus works as our advocate before the Father. And so J- Jim is focusing on the fact we've got to confess to God. Yeah. Uh, Eric had sent in an email which he said we confess to God. All sin is first and foremost against God, Psalm 51, 4. We need to confess to those that we sin against. Jesus says if someone has something against us, we're obligated to reach out to them, as he recorded in Matthew 5, beginning verse 23, which we mentioned. However, this is not always possible. For instance, if I am so, if I am rude to someone while driving down the road, but we have, but if we have the opportunity, it seems a prudent thing to do. He says sometimes I might sin and I might not be able to reach out to the person I've sinned against. Okay. He says we need to confess to our brothers. James five sixteen seems to say that we should open up to other Christians about our sins. But this raises the question of whether James is talking about all sins. Seems unlikely. 
And does the one brother include just one Christian confidant or the whole church? And I think that's a judgment. Okay. All right. Uh, Paul uh, references the account of Acts chapter 8. Simon was told to repent and pray. He then asked Peter to pray for him. I think this is often why people come forward, not so much as to confess, but to ask for help. Sometimes confession is involved. Sometimes it is a plea for help. Yeah, so I think good comments, right. uh, Paul. Let's get our last break, and then we got. Uh, we wanted to look to some examples in the Scripture, and we've already done that a lot. And we may we can mention some other good examples of of proper and right kinds of confession and those that were not. All right, we'll take a break, and then when we go to the top of the hour after that, uh, plenty of time for your phone call, plenty of time for your email, plenty of time for your comments in the chat room. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study will continue right after this. These guys are doing all of the talking. We need to hear from you. Call in now. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this. Hi, I'm Wade Shelton. In 1 Peter 3.15, the scripture says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. You see, we believe here at College View that we should be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks. And I believe that we are dedicated to this cause. That's why we here at College View bring you the virtual Bible study each week. Our hope is that you will join us each week here on the Virtual Bible Study in hopes of strengthening your faith so that you will be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you. Please join us here every Thursday night on the Virtual Bible Study. I know that it's worth an hour of your time. My name is Rick Harris, and I love to listen to the Virtual Bible Study. I hope you'll join me and many others in this weekly Internet Bible Study group. Be sure to listen every Thursday night. Missed a recent virtual Bible study program? Listen to any of our past programs from the archive section of our website. Now, back to the virtual Bible study. We welcome you back to the virtual Bible study tonight. We'll remind you this program is brought to you by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. If you're in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to come and visit with us. We meet on Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m., Sunday evenings at 6, and Wednesday evening at 7. You'll be our guest at any of those services. If you want to find out more information about us, how to find our meeting place, or what we believe in practice, visit our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com or collegeview.com, and we look forward to meeting you soon if you're in the Columbia, Tennessee area. We're talking about confession on the program tonight, and lots of good discussion to go. Uh, we got an email from Tim who asked, if we are to repent and be baptized for remission of sins, what scripture reference supports why we should not be rebaptized each time we need to repent of our new sins? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, I think the answer to that is in Acts chapter 8. We've okay. got Simon the sorcerer who in, I think, verse 13 of Acts 8, he was baptized. So he became a Christian. And then he apparently fairly shortly thereafter sinned when he tried to pay the apostles to give him the gift of laying on of hands. And so here's a, here's a guy who had been baptized. He sinned again. What was he told to do? He was not told to be, be baptized again. He was told in Acts 8, verse 22, Repent, therefore, of this thy weakness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. So I think that's a clear case of a Christian who sins. No, no rebaptism is required. You've got to pray for, you've got to repent and pray for forgiveness uh, in that case. All right. Uh, and then, I'd also reference right. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, written to Christians, uh, and the way that Christians are told to uh, find forgiveness of their sins is to confess it. And Robin uh, sends in an email and suggests that uh, Acts 19, 18, and that's the case of the Ephesians who brought their, bo their books uh, and burned them publicly, he says suggests the idea of a specific confession okay. i think right. you're right robin thank you robin for that uh, lots of good comments tonight we're going to miss some of them but we're trying to catch capture as many as we can so keep them coming uh, tonight and again the best way for your comment to be heard is over the phone tonight at 877-381-4567 we ask uh, you asked earlier some examples let, of let, let, real quick before we go to that jacob I, I got an email from our friend jeff down in warrior alabama he sent in uh a sermon, and if I hadn't had to reference it here on the program, I might have preached it. He's oh, got a lot you of ruined good, it. Yeah, I ruined it. He's got a lot of good uh, uh, comments about confessing sins. I, this was interesting. The idea of public confession, he says, is taught by way of necessary inference. In the case of the man, 1 Corinthians 5, uh, beginning verse 1, it is reported commonly that there is fornication among you, and, and such fornication is not so much as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. Here's a fellow who had committed a, a sin that everybody knew about, even the, even the public knew about it, not just the people in the church. 
Well, when you get to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning verse 6, Paul says, Sufficient to such man is this punishment which was inflicted of many, so that contrarywise ye ought rather to forgive him and comfort him. And so on. In other words, everybody had come to know of his repentance, that he had acknowledged his sin. Now Paul's encouraging them all to, to, forgive, him to forgive him and make uh, to, to renew their relationship with him. Uh, which he's, I think he's right. That 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 implies uh, there's necessary inference there that this sin was publicly acknowledged. Um, but I, I I thought and he's got a lot of good points here. But here here's some of the things he says. True confession is not just confessing that one has sinned or confessing sins of weakness, imperfection, mistakes, or errors of judgment. True confession is not confessing without repentance and restitution. It is not confessing only when you get caught. It is not confessing the bare minimum to ease one's conscience or to please men. And it is not confessing while demanding immediate evidence that everybody else forgives you of that. He says uh, some people like to substitute for true confession uh, the idea of a second baptism. Some would rather do that than confess. Just let me get baptized again. Some people refuse to accept responsibility. Some people separate them. They believe that time and distance will separate them from the sin that they committed. You know, time heals all wounds, and some people think that if it's been long enough ago that I committed this sin, then I don't have to confess it. Okay. Uh, uh, and so on. A lot of good ideas there in, in the outline that uh, Jeff sent in. Okay. Appreciate those comments, Jeff, and just some good things there. You know, I do think the, the idea of being a specific, if I say I've sinned, uh, what, what, I mean, that's, that's evident. I'm, I'm, You're a man. I'm a human. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it indicates we need to be more specific. 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. You asked earlier today for some examples of some good confessions and some examples of some bad confessions, and we have some uh, examples submitted by our listeners in both categories yeah. tonight. Roger in Murfreesboro uh, says a good confession is Psalm 32, verse 5, uh, where he referenced uh, their uh, the uh, expression, I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. This is the appropriate response to transgressions. For some reason, we think we can, uh, truly, we truly think we can get away with our actions. For some reason, we think that since we can hide our sins from one another and from our family, God will not know. Adam and Eve exhibited this foolish behavior, trying to hide their actions from the Lord. But this action of course, uh, leads to our own spiritual, mental, and emotional destruction. We must confess our sins to God. We must acknowledge our responsibility for what we have done. Only when we refuse uh, to cover up our sins and openly acknowledge our sins to God can we be forgiven. David would not be forgiven of his sin as long as he continued to ignore what he had done. God sent Nathan to David uh, so that he would open his eyes and see the evil he was committing. Only when David finally said, I have sinned against the Lord, did Nathan tell David, the Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die, Second Samuel 12, verse 13. Forgiveness cannot and will not come from the Lord while we try to hide our actions from God. Once we, open, uh, once we come clean, God will make us clean by forgiving us. Okay. Uh, Jim in Mount Pleasant says uh, Matthew 6, verse 9 through 14 is a good outline uh, for an attitude and desire about prayer and confession where Jesus was teaching the model prayer. He says also Peter's teaching to Simon in Acts 8, beginning verse 21, also teaches the importance of honesty and seeking forgiveness from God. All right. Eric in uh, Fayetteville, who called us earlier, said uh, we often say that confession should be specific. Achan's confession was in Joshua 7, verse 20 and 21. Uh, Achan answered, Joshua, truly I have sinned against the Lord, God of Israel, and this is what I did. And he goes on to say that when he saw this among the spoil and so on, uh, what he what he had done. Uh, however, there are other examples where the confession was more general. The prodigal son in Luke fifteen twenty one, he said, "Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son." David in Second Samuel twelve verse thirteen. We talked about that one while uh, Eric was on the phone. The, tele the tax collector in Luke eighteen verse thirteen said, "God be merciful to me, a sinner." Okay. All right. Uh, so I think those are all good examples uh, examples uh, of appropriate uh, confession. Uh, those are some good ones. There are some bad ones. We ask also, uh, what are some examples of ineffective sin? Uh, ineffective confession. In, uh, excuse me. In, uh, I guess but all no, sin is, is. It is very ineffective. ineffective. Uh, not recommended. Ineffective confession of sins. Eric says he could find only one. Uh, Matthew 3, beginning verse 6, and they were baptized by him in the 
the Jordan confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. It's not clear if the Pharisees were confessing or not, but whatever they were doing, it was just for show. And they clearly had no plans to repent. I think that's right. Uh, so that that's a bad example. Roger mentions Saul. I think King Saul uh, in First uh, Samuel chapter 15, that's the episode where he was told to utterly destroy the Amalekites. He denied at first. Then he tried to excuse himself and blame yep. the people mm-hmm. for what was done. Uh, and then finally, uh, he, uh, he said, th- this is really interesting, I think, in First Samuel 15 verse 30, when he finally couldn't dodge the fact that he had sinned anymore, in 1 Samuel 15, verse 30, Saul says to Samuel, I have sinned, yet honor me now, I pray thee, before the elders of my people and before Israel, and turn again with me that I may worship the Lord thy God. So finally he says to Samuel, okay, okay, I did it, but I, yeah. I don't want to make a scene here. I don't want anybody else to know that I'm admitting to doing wrong. That was no true confession at all. All right. Uh, you and uh, and Jim in Mount Pleasant are the same wavelength tonight. He references King Saul as being one who was a poor confessor. He also references Judas. Judas made no confession, he says. He was sorry and killed himself, but sorrow and remorse are not the same as repentance, confession of sins, and seeking forgiveness from God. Appreciate, uh, Jim, for those comments. I think tonight. that's exactly right. Uh, we have several... Reference, there are several references in the early chapters of the book of Exodus to Pharaoh. Uh, several times when he was confronted by Moses and after suffering the horrible consequences of some of the plagues that came upon him, he would, he would say, say I've, I've, wrong. I've, I've done wrong. And then he immediately turned around and recant and change his mind. Okay. As soon as the evil consequences were lifted, uh, then he sinned again. And that's like a lot of people today. They only confess when they get caught, and they only do it to, to get out of the heat of the moment. And as soon as they have a chance, they're right back at it. All right. One more comment uh, from the chat room tonight. We may be able to re- work in a couple more. But Paul makes a comment I would like your, your feedback on, Dad. He says, sometimes a person like the prodigal son may have sinned so much and in so many ways that his more general statement that he had abandoned his father was appropriate. It may have been impossible to mention every transgression specifically. You ever know anybody like the prodigal son where, you know, it, it may be impossible for them to list every transgression they've committed? Well, for, for instance, his brother there uh, accused him of wasting his substance uh, with harlots. Uh, um, let's see, what did his brother say? Uh, he was angry. He answered, said, Lo, these many years I do serve thee. This is Luke 16, verse 29. I uh, Neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment, and yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might marry with my friend. As soon as this thy son was come, which devoured thy living with harlots, Thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. In other words, it was known that he had lived that way. It was known that he had engaged harlots and so forth. Uh, And so since it was known, when he came back and told his father, verse 21, I have sinned against heaven in thy sight, it was clear that that's what he was talking about. He didn't have to enumerate every time that he had been with a harlot. But he was acknowledging that this is the kind of thing I've been doing, and this is what I I'm was talking. unfaithful. Uh, that's what I'm talking about when I tell you I sinned against against God and and in the, uh, and against you. And so uh, I would agree with Paul. I, I don't, you know, if my sins have been many and sorted, and I come confessing my sins, I don't think I have to specify time, date, and place of every sin that I've committed. But those that I'm talking to know what I'm talking about. In other words, my, my confession has to be specific enough that if, if I need to confess to my brethren, my confession needs to be specific enough. They know what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about, uh, you know, stealing a pack of baseball cards at the dime store. I'm talking about I've been with harlots. Let's, you know, and they know that. If that's, if that's the context in which that statement is made, they know what it's about. All right. Uh, appreciate uh, the comments tonight. Uh, Dad, this is an important uh, subject. Um, do we need an iPhone app for it? I don't know. We may need some help with it, but uh, we uh, need to be diligent in confessing our sins. Well, I think that's right. Uh, uh, it is a lot more serious than an iPhone app. It is a very serious Bible subject, and not just one that is not, not a fall off the log easy kind of and subject. And there are any to, easy to, way out. So you're not going to yeah. be able to push some button on your phone and uh, and take care of your sins that way. Exactly right. All right. Uh, appreciate Jeff for being on the other end of the line tonight. Jeff, thank you for manning the controls. 
And uh, thank you for your comments tonight, Dad. Thank you, Jacob. Thank you for being on the other end of the discussion tonight and for participating. Lots of good participation. You know, we might mention, Dad, that uh, if you're not listening to us in the live version, you're missing out on uh, some benefits there. The, the chat room is a, a good way to, to discuss the topic with other listeners. I think that uh, those in the chat room tonight have, have done a good job of, uh, of sparking the discussion. And so if you're not listening to us live, uh, make it a, a point to put it in your schedule to be here live so you can join in with other listeners in the chat room. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very enjoyable. I think the people who use the chat room really, really do enjoy and get a benefit from doing so. All right, and uh, we hope that you've benefited from our discussion, whether you're listening to us live or listening to us in our podcast uh, version. And if you have any questions or comments about what you've heard, if you did listen live or if you listened in the recorded version, if you have a question or comment, we'd love and welcome your comment at any time. Send us an email or give us a phone call and let us know your thoughts. So we hope you'll make plans to be back here next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And in the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word of the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.